With almost 40 years of experience in public affairs in Japan, Timothy Langley is the founder and driving force behind Langley Esquire. He combines a comprehensive understanding of international law with unique perspective gained from decades working in and with the Japanese government. He was the first foreign national to work inside the National Diet, serving as policy aide to former Foreign Minister Nakayama Taro, and has served as political attaché for US presidents and diplomats visiting Japan. Ed Blakely is a former Washington insider, an internationally recognised leader in urban development and planning, advisor and author. Tim, yes, sir. Uh, what's happening in Japan? Because I hear a lot of really difficult There's a lot going there. on. Uh, of course, Japan's in the news for the Olympics, but also you have change in prime minister and a lot going on. From the top, what's happening with your government? these days so so it's it's everything is in flux um you and i talked maybe uh 10 days ago and even in that uh, very brief period of time there has been um a lot of change uh politically uh with the vaccine rollout uh with the olympics um those just those three things uh together uh conspire one against the other and it just makes a a really um interesting mix for an observer but a very difficult situation for the current prime minister, uh, Mr. Suga. So who is Suga? No one's ever heard of him. We thought Anastade would be there forever. Uh, so Suga is a politician from Akita. Akita is in the northern area of Japan. It faces the Japan seaside, not the Pacific side. So it's, it's largely a, a rural area. It's it's interesting, just coincidentally, when I first landed in Japan, I landed in Akita. Akita was my, my base when I first came to Japan uh, 40 years ago. And um, he is a politician um, who was identified by Mr. Abe when Mr. Abe, uh, he was prime minister at one point, and then he resigned because of uh, uh, his health. And Mr. Suga, um, encouraged him and stuck with him and said, you know, you've got so much to offer this country and you should, you should stand up and you should try again. And Mr. And Abe, did. and he did. And as a, um, you know, as a, not a prize, but as a, um, you know, a thank you to Mr. Suga, he made him his chief cabinet secretary. And that um, job is the one who makes sure everything gets done. Right. That's right. He's, Yes, he's the one that's always on TV. Uh, he's reporting on behalf of the cabinet. He represents the prime minister. And the interesting thing about Mr. Suga is that he doesn't come from any political faction. He doesn't belong to a faction. He's an independent member of the, the parliament. And that doesn't the sound LD good if you want to get elected to uh, well, the head he, job, right? That's right. That's right. So he belongs to the LDP, but he's independent of any of the factions. And Mr. Abe's faction is the uh, Sewakai. It's the um, largest uh, political faction. He um, identified Mr. Suga as his chief cabinet secretary. So as a consequence, Mr. Abe was the, has been the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history. So Mr. Suga was the longest serving chief cabinet secretary in Japanese history. All right, now is and, Mr. Suga going to survive an election? That's the question. Pardon me? Is he going to survive an election, which is coming up when, in September? In September. 
Yes. So um, it's anybody's guess. Um, the, the the jury is still out on that, and he's struggling every day to, um, you know, catch a wind to boost his political standing. His uh, public approval rating is very low. It's in the 30s. Um, the the next uh, public opinion poll results will be released uh, next week. Um, but he's confronted by a lot of things that are not so great and very few things that are good. So, so give me some of the not so great ones. Uh, the not so great things are um, a former minister of METI, which is the Ministry of Industry and Trade. Um, he was um, uh, caught for bribery, accepting uh, money, political funds, and not reporting them. And um, he was chastised and um, he, he resigned from the LDP. And then three days ago, he resigned uh, his, his diet membership. So he's no longer a member of the diet. And um, the LDP is frequently criticized as, um, you know, the money grubbing, uh, big company uh, mm -hmm. kind of uh, party. And there was by-elections uh, maybe a, a month and a half ago where they had a couple of elections for um, seats that went vacant because the former member either died or was removed from office. And in two of those situations, the members were removed from office because of, of bribery. And how did the elections go? Did the majority and the party LDP win lost. They lost. The LDP lost all three of them. Oh my goodness. Which is a bellwether of how elections might come out uh, in the near term. Now, who's, who's the front runner then? Okay, so um, the front runners, you might know uh, Kono Taro. He is a, he's a, a young uh, parliamentarian. He's maybe 56 years old, uh, mm -hmm. which is young by Japanese standards. Mm -hmm. um, his, his father was a uh, speaker of the house, mm -hmm. um, comes from a, a very good pedigree. Went That's to probably Georgetown where I've heard the name. Probably yes, heard sir. of his father, not him. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, even uh, Konotaro has been, uh, he's had ministerial portfolios three times. All right. And he's a minister now. And um, he is in the, the Suga cabinet. And he is the one, he's the czar of vaccine rollout. So he's in the newspapers, he's in the news quite a bit. He's, his star is rising. Mm -hmm. um, but he received a hit piece just this last week in um, one of the, the magazines that comes out. So in Japanese politics, it's very difficult to get a good bead on what actually is going, going on. So the, the press is somewhat dominated by the LDP. Mm -hmm. The news is dominated by the LDP. The, the main um, news station, which is NHK, mm -hmm. um, the chairman of NHK is appointed personally by the prime minister. So they have to toe the party line. Mm -hmm. um, so as, as a, a kind of a way to uh, address that, uh, these weekly magazines are the ones that come up with all the scuttlebutt, with all the scandal. Uh, they do deep investigative reporting and um, they, can bring, they can bring anybody down. Uh, they're very, very powerful. And Mr. Um, Kono was identified as uh, receiving political funds and not reporting them, which is a huge no-no. And that just came out. So up until this time, He's been a darling, he's been a favorite. But Mr. Abe, when asked in a, um, an interview about two weeks ago, 
So, um, Mr. Abe, apparently the population likes uh, these three fellows. One of them is Mr. Kono, and another is, are these two other fellows. But uh, what do you think? Uh, who do you like? And he completely disregarded those three individuals, and including Kono, and mentioned three of his, um, three of the members of the cabinet already. Um, and then he, he kind of qualified it. He said, but of course, you know, Mr. Suga is, is, is my uh, number one choice, which is kind mm. of tongue in cheek. Um, but as, as, assuming he, he chooses to run, then I would, I would endorse him. And an, an endorsement by Mr. Abe would really carry the day. Uh -huh. um, so, so it's left to be Abe seen. still the man behind the scenes. Mr. Abe is in the game. It's not, is he going to come back or is he not going to come back? He's already back. He's already um, very much engaged in the political process. Yeah. So he resigned as, as prime minister, but he didn't resign as a diet member. Aha, uh -huh. so he holds his seat. He hold, not only does he hold his seat, but he is the titular head of the largest political faction within the LDP, the Sewakai. So is Suga just a, um, what do you call it? Yes, a bookmark? A stand-in. stand-in? A kind of stand-in. So when Mr. Suga, when Mr. Abe decided he was going to resign because of, finger quotes, health, um, there was a, a bit of a discussion going on, who's going to replace him? And Mr. Suga was appointed, not elected, he was appointed by the powers that be to fill in the last remaining year of Mr. Abe's term. So he's, he's like stepped into Mr. Abe's position. So the reason why we have to have a, an election for uh, LDP president in September is because the term of the um, uh, party president is at that time. So Suga could turn around and run again after having stepped down uh, for prime minister because that's not directly elected, it's elected by the parliament, right? I, that's Abe, right. So, I mean. That's right. It, it's, a, it's a popularity contest. And if you're in the LDP, you have um, a great advantage. And if you're um, the leader of the largest political faction within the LDP, you have even more um, likelihood of becoming prime minister. Well, Mr. Is there any Abe, and there has, there has, Mr. Uh -huh. Abe has, um, there has been discussion about Mr. Abe coming back. But based on the interview that he did uh, two weeks ago, it looks kind of unlikely. It looks like he'll be a kingmaker, which would be the more clever position, mm -hmm. and kind of handpick his uh, successor. And either way, if it's Suga or if it's one of these other three that he identified, he's still in the catbird seat. All right. So we're going to be an Abe uh, mentored government, if nothing else. That's almost always how it goes. Uh, the, the prime minister only becomes more powerful after his prime ministership. Okay, now mess number one. Mess number two, COVID. Where are you? So COVID, um, Japan is uh, remarkable among the G7, not only the G7, but the OECD countries in being the slowest to roll out the vaccines. Uh, the numbers, I think countries are envious of Japan because the numbers are low, but for the Japanese, it's, it's almost um, unacceptable. So we're in our third state of emergency um, and uh, the Olympics are less than two months away. Um, vaccines have started to roll out and 
what they've decided is let's get the most uh, vulnerable population first. That started two weeks ago. Over 65. Ago. I'm sorry. God. Oh, two weeks ago. Everybody. Two weeks ago. The, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous, especially for a country like Japan. I mean, Japan, as as you know, everybody knows this. It's 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 such a, a wonderful, strange country because a lot of the things that you would expect to come out of Japan, it's backwards. Yet they do something so marvelously great, right? So the COVID rollout, you would have thought these people know how to move people. They know how to count. They they manage the economy. They manage. Um, you know, their population, it's an island country, everything's centralized in Tokyo. They know how to do this. Still, they, they faltered. So 65 years and older, there's 65 million people in the Japanese population who fit that category. Mm -hmm. And they started the vaccine rollout two weeks ago. Before that, they inoculated um, first responders, uh, Olympic officials, athletes, and that sort of thing. And then they moved on to the 65 and and older, that started two weeks ago. They've got about less than 3% of that population taken care of as of today. Wow, that's slower than Australia. Um, Mr. Suga has promised that by the end of June, he will have inoculated um, uh, 65 and older. And in the meantime, they will blend in uh, the other population. Um, it's unlikely that he'll make that promise come true, which is, is another one of those things that you just kind of, uh, you just wish things were, were working better for him. So Mr. Konotaro, as I mentioned, um, he's the czar of, of vaccine rollout. So they were trying to do it the regular way, using the medical profession, using the doctors and nurses and that sort of thing. And um, Mr. Kono just threw up his arms. I mean, just like foreigners trying to do business in Japan. He threw up his arms. He says, this just isn't working. You know, they're, they're not doing well, we found the same thing. Cooperating. We're trying to use so, GPs so what I'm is going a to slow do, way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, recruit the self-defense forces. Mm. And they are going to set up inoculation centers too. And so that's on top of what the municipalities are doing. This um, sounds like Joe Biden. Um, I, I, I'm not following what Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden put the military onto the vaccine business. And now the U.S. is not near, nearly 70 percent. Oh, the United States is doing great. Yeah. But the military, uh, the National Guard using the National Guard facilities and, you know, baseball stadiums and things like that with guardsmen who are trained as medics. OK, won the day. Because okay, we didn't then, have enough nurses around, they have other jobs to do, and sure. you have all well, these military people available who can do it. Well, apparently that the um, the Japanese took the page out of the what the United States and and Australia was doing then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. So so we're starting to get traction. Um, mm. I took my my inoculation today. Um, and they run it like clockwork. Lots of people going through, uh, getting inoculated, getting. Um, you know, the, the reservation for their, their second inoculation, it took, you know, maybe, maybe an hour to get it done. Well, that's sounding better. Uh, so the Olympics, are they going to happen? So the Olympics, um, front page newspaper today uh, said um, it's go, no go for the Olympics. So 
there's there's a trepidation within the Japanese population. Are we going to hold the Olympics? Are we not going to hold the Olympics? More than 70% of the Japanese population don't want the Olympics. It's a, you know, it's basically a, a risk averse um, culture. So if, if they think that it's going to be a super spreader event and that Japanese people are going to be infected because all of these people are coming in from all over the world, uh, it's likely that there might be we just don't want to deal with that. So let's not have the, the, um, the Olympic Games. On the other hand, if they don't have the Olympics, um, it looks really bad for the Japanese politically and economically, they will lose, you know, uh, maybe $1.6 trillion. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. economy will take that kind of a hit. If they do have the Olympics and it runs well, it doesn't mean that they lose, um, they, they gain they might not lose um, that much. They're still going to lose because they're going to be save face spectator less. No, but they save face. In Asian countries, saving face is more than better than saving money. Yes, yes, but the expectations are so high, and they spent so much money to make this such a showcase of Japan. Mm. And um, you know, it was just it was just such a great opportunity for Japan. You know, pre-COVID. So a lot of people were gambling on it. A lot of people put down a lot of money so that their brand and their, their, um, their product awareness and their affiliation with you know, the world's largest uh, sporting event. Um, yeah, so the big business wants it to go through. Um, the Japanese population is not so keen on it. All right, now Japan is um, thinking about rearming. Yes. Uh, where's that discussion? What will happen? Yes, someone called the defense force that's bigger than the Australian army. Uh, What's going to happen there with this? um, So um, there are a couple of of layers there. Uh, So the first layer is that um, under the Japanese constitution, they can only have defense forces. So that's why the military here is called that Japan self-defense forces, self-defense. They don't have expeditionary forces. They don't have forces like the Marines that storm the beaches and capture the island. They, they, they don't do that. They don't even have the weaponry to do that. All of the weaponry is based on defensive uh, capabilities. So they're married to the United States and live under the umbrella that the United States provides for them. And so as a consequence, they can keep, you know, about 1% of GDP dedicated to um, military armament. Mm -hmm. And although that's a small percentage, since the economy is so large, it's the third largest in in the world, it does in fact exceed the military um, uh, expenditures for a country like Australia. But Australia too is, it's not surrounded by enemies. Uh, the, The Japanese archipelago is you know there's China there's North Korea um, there's Russia Russia still occupies several of the islands claimed by Japan and they still haven't signed a peace treaty with uh, with the Russian Federation so twenty yes yes even your brother's not that old no no <laughs> uh, now uh, are they letting now that's something. That's a pride issue now, a difficult issue, but 
North Korea is an issue that's in your face. What's happening there? Um, well, let me go back to the other layer. The other layer is that um, Mr. Abe has always wanted to change the constitution mm -hmm. so that there can be more than uh, self-defense forces, that he, he can expand that part of the Japanese um, mindset, the Japanese um, ability to project their, their influence regionally. And of course, that scares the bejesus out of a lot of, uh, of their neighbors, remembering, mm. you know, what happened not so long ago. The Koreans, especially. Uh, the, the Koreans, especially, but the, the Chinese, too. So in order to change the Constitution, he has been dedicated to it, by the way. He's spoken publicly about it. I'm going to change the Constitution. I'm going to uh, rearm uh, the Japanese military. We are going to be able to project. And, and we're not going... We don't need to be reliant on the United States. You know, this has gone on long enough. You know, for Christ's sake, they wrote our constitution. Our constitution has never been changed, not one iota since the Americans gave it to us. So we should change our constitution and we should uh, have self-reliance and we should have a, a military that is commensurate with our design and our desires and our ability to be an independent nation. So that resonates with a, a, a large part of the population, especially the young people. So he's passed a bill into the, into the Congress. It came out maybe three weeks ago for a referendum to change the constitution. So in order to change the constitution, you have to have two thirds of the upper house approve of it, two thirds of the lower house approve of it. And then there needs to be a referendum of the Japanese population and of the people that vote 51% have to vote that yes, we can change the constitution. Okay. So this, this, yes, it is a high hurdle, but even the referendum bill has been uh, fought over for the last 12 years. Finally, Mr. Abe was able to get it passed. So it's, it, it, it's not the whole game, but it is one of the key pieces on getting um, the constitution changed. So whether it will be or not, it's still Mr. Abe's uh, dream and desire and his, his mission to do that. So that's mm. the other layer. And the third layer is, let's just assume that um, the Japanese population accepts that and wants to develop a, uh, a military force commensurate with what Mr. Abe describes. Japan has, it, it, culturally, it just doesn't have that, that kind of capacity. The, the military, the self-defense forces, are not that large. It's not very highly thought of among the Japanese population. For the soldiers that um, do work in the uh, self-defense forces, they go into the ministry or they go into their, their bases where they, they work. They almost never leave their house in their military uniform. They go to work in their civilians, their civilian wear. They go into uh, their workspace and then they change into their military garb. So. In, in, on the streets, on, in the trains, throughout Japanese society, you almost never see uh, military officers or soldiers who are in military garb. It's just unheard of. Mm. So to bring, bring the population to accommodate and accept that is, is one thing, but also having the population of young kids who aspire to be patriots and you know, do push-ups and go through basic training and also give their lives for their country. I mean, that is, that is, that's generations away from where we are right now. Wow. Under the, under the, 
sorry to go go on about this, but it's 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 important to note that under the U.S. Japan um, military uh, convention, should the United States in the Asia Pacific region run into a conflict, the United States is uh, honor bound to protect Japan, and Japan is honor bound to supply and um, uh, support the United States in that effort. Mm-hmm. So let's say there is a conflict, the United States gets in, embroiled in some sort of a, you know, a physical war or physical conflict, and the Japanese are required to supply or to, to support in some way. And as a consequence of that, they get attacked and some Japanese soldiers get killed. The Japanese population currently would go absolutely crazy. And then everything would be, you know, called off. The Japanese aren't uh, familiar with that. They haven't had to deal with that. War, bloodshed, you know, the killing of Japanese um, citizens. It's, uh, I mean, even the peacekeeping forces that are sent to, for example, Somalia, uh, they require another buffer of the local uh, um, soldiers to protect them because if the rebel forces were somehow able to lob in mortars or somehow kill Japanese soldiers, the whole deal would be off. The Japanese yeah. population wouldn't put up for it. Wow. So, but you still, now you have a real enemy, North Korea, uh, China, uh, the waters are full of sharks. Yes. Uh, apparently, from what you just said, some people recognize that and they know the U.S. is a bit irresponsible. So that's right. This is a Hobbes choice. If you don't, you're dead. If you do, you might be dead. That's right. So it's, it's really complex. It's difficult. You know, the relationship between Japan and the United States is so vitally important. It's important to the United States. It's important to Japan, too. So um, Joe Biden met with um, uh, foreign leaders. He began to accept them two months into his his presidency. The very first leader that he met was Mr. Suga. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened with um, Trump. You might remember Mm -hmm. Um, Mr. Abe went to visit him. He was the first foreign leader. So um, if anything's going to happen, uh, geopolitically in this world, it, it's most likely going to happen in Asia Pacific before it happens in Iraq or Iran or Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is really a hot spot. And the forces and, and the progenitors of what could possibly happen are already occurring now with Hong Kong being tightened up by the Chinese, right. you know, sh- shutting down uh, free press and freedom of speech. And then the incursions to uh, Taiwan and kind of the saber rattling, saber rattling that's going on there, and just the tremendous construction that's going on on these reefs that are just barely breaking um, uh, the, the sea level, uh, artificial islands that are being built there for military purposes. It's it's pretty scary. Pretty scary. So um, we have another problem, a real time bomb, the population. Yes. Yes. Uh, people ain't getting younger in Japan. What are you going to do? You're so four um, child policy or what? Yeah, that um, I don't think that's going to work. I mean, people aren't even getting married. Um, young ladies continue to stay with their parents uh, well into their their 30s. Um, 
the marriage rate is down. Obviously, population, uh, the births per per thousand are down. Um, GDP is directly tied. Productivity mm -hmm. is directly tied to the number of people you have in your population. And you know the trajectory is that the Japanese population will uh, will decline. There's not much they can do. Even immigration, if they did something like the United States is doing, which they they wouldn't do, they can't do. Um, what do you even, mean they can't do? It's just a matter of making a law, like the law on the self-defense, saying we'll let people in. Oh, no, but, but uh, they could do that legally, but just the culture and the, and culture the population. The against it, yeah. They, they couldn't absorb it. No. It, it would be too disruptive. And the Japanese, just they, they want no disruption. You know, keep things even, keep, keep things, even if you're feeding us a bunch of bull, just keep things moving, you know, smoothly. You know, that you, you take a look at the Japanese legal system and justice, it doesn't deliver, but it does deliver stability. It does deliver some some form of of stability. Um, so the, above and beyond everything else, the Japanese insist on, you know, keep it clean, keep it, keep it moving. We don't need to be, you know, on rocket ships and absorbing risk. We don't want the risk. So we just want to move forward, you know, um, cohesively yeah so clearly japan is number three in the world economy it's going to fall it probably depend um uh, judging from uh, projected population it, it should probably be more at like number 16 mm -hmm. in the, wow, the world that's chart. A big fall that's a, big that's a fall. huge fall that's that means uh california and new york would be higher yes but i think that that that, that would be more uh, the more acceptable outcome than having lots of, of foreigners coming in and setting up shops and living here and having kids and having their kids um, go to Japanese schools and be absorbed in the, the Japanese society. It's just, it's just not prepared for that. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe it could with something happening in North Korea, some sort of uh, major event. Mm -hmm. Maybe the United States announces on uh, the 16th of this month that the UFOs that they have been recording and reporting on, yes, we have this technology and um, we're in communications and we have a new energy source, something like that, you know, who, who knows, but. Um. <laughs> so last, last thing, uh, all these minds out there, leadership issues and so on. There's a lot of talk about forming a new partnership, Japan, South Korea, Australia, Malaysia, the new Pacific Alliance. Has that got water? I mean, got the traction? It, it has a certain amount. So there are a couple of things that, that you need to talk about in the context of that. So first of all, there's TPP. Yeah. TPP was kind of destroyed by Trump. But that's gone. But it, 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 it kind of disappeared. But all of the other parties were energized to do something about having a, tr a free trade zone. Mm -hmm. So that process has moved forward. It looks like Joe Biden is um, going to re-enter that discussion. They won't call it TPP, but it'll be a revised TPP. That's that's one issue. The second mm -hmm. issue is the Quad, mm -hmm. it, which is um, a kind of a bulk war against China. It's India, Australia, the United States, Japan. So there's 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 movement going on there. It is military hinged on economic activity and trade investment. I don't know if that has as much traction as a, a revived TPP, 
Um, but then, you know, you've got the, just the, the, the amount of trade that's going on here. Contrast that to what could happen even with enhanced trade going on. And then the Chinese have a stranglehold on the East China Sea yeah. in terms of, of transportation, the shipping and that sort of thing. Yeah. You've got to pay taxes or you have to, you know, if you're not pay following, toll. Uh, yeah. oh boy, you know, yeah. that's. Uh, we had a war about that. Uh, so we did. I don't know if we would have another war about it. I, I don't know mm -hmm. if we would be paying it through the nose uh, to, to keep the peace and to um, acknowledge the Chinese um, uh, dominance of, of the, the shipping, shipping lanes. Um, but then you've got COVID and the news about COVID coming from Wuhan and the acknowledgement slowly by the Biden administration that yes, uh, it did start from Wuhan uh, and damn it, the Chinese, you should, you should pay for that. You should be like Trump said the other day, um, you know, we should have reparations. The Chinese did this. They did this on purpose. They did this with the design and they should pay. That makes sense when you take a look at um, how much debt the Chinese hold uh, from the United States. So that would kind of clear the slates there. But, you know, nobody's going to take that sort of thing uh, sitting down. So there's a lot going on over the next five years. There's going to be a lot of change, a lot of turmoil. Maybe the Chinese back off a little bit. They see what's happened with um, what their, their stance has generated, the animosity that their stance has, has generated. Maybe they take a little bit go slower approach. I don't know. But, um, you know, China's here to stay. It's got a huge economy. Um, well, it's and, the largest uh, middle class in the world. So oh, they don't huge. even need us. They have, they have a larger middle class in China than Jap Japan has population-wise. Yeah, so they don't need the rest of us. No. Uh, and they're showing it. Uh, so uh, we are going to have to talk more about these things uh, after the Olympics, are or are not. In the meantime, I think Japan experts will be a good way to stay together. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you very much, Ed, for having me on your very famous show. I feel honored and um, a little bit um, worried. Um, <laughs> your brother may be uh, the other listener. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Sayonara. Sayonara. Thank you very much, Ed. Take care. Bye. Find previous chats in this series and subscribe wherever you find this podcast just by searching Pacific Conversations. And check the website as well, edtalks.com.au. For weekly updates on U.S. news and current affairs, check out Ed's other podcast, U.S. of Ed, with myself, Sean Britton, analyzing the week every Thursday.